Hello, church family. Thank you for joining us this week. We're continuing a series titled A Generous Life and looking at Mark 10, 17 through 22. I hope you are blessed by this sermon from Pastor Matthias. Oh, friends, uh, this morning we are wrapping up the sermon series we've been working through this month, uh, taking a look at uh, a generous life, something that in many ways defines our church family. We've been celebrating our 190th anniversary. It was in 1831 that the Methodists first started working in this area. Uh, And so we've uh, been talking about that generosity, about serving and giving. And as we wrap up this morning, we're taking a look at Well, I guess one of the most famous stories or most often cited Bible stories when it comes to serving and giving, uh, Mark chapter 10, verses 17 to 22, the story of the rich young ruler. Friends, listen now for the word of the Lord. As he was setting out on a journey, a man ran up and knelt before him and asked, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good but God alone. You know the commandments. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness. You shall not defraud. Honor your father and mother. He said, Teacher, I have kept all these since my youth. And Jesus, looking at him, loved him and said, You lack one thing. Go Sell what you own and give the money to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come and follow me. When he heard this, he was shocked and went away grieving, for he had many possessions. Friends, the grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God stands forever. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all our hearts be acceptable strength and our Redeemer. Amen. For as long as people have read it, this passage has always been a story about money. The very first translators of the Bible took to calling it the story of the rich young ruler, as if being rich is the single most defining characteristic about this person. And even though, notice Mark never calls the man the rich young ruler, that doesn't come till later. Whenever artists would paint this scene in churches and on mosaics, they always imagined a man dressed in silk robes with a purse full of gold coins on his belt. Sometimes he even has a crown. And when ministers think about when best to preach on this passage, they almost universally settle on November Stewardship Month, which, yes, is kind of what we're doing right now, but if you can't beat them, join them. However, in spite of all of that and that long history, I'm not convinced this passage is about money. It concerns money. There's no debate about that, but it just feels like it's about something else, something a bit greater, something more important. The anonymous man who runs up to Jesus in Mark 10 is wealthy. He had many possessions, Scripture tells us. And not only is he wealthy, he is religious. 
When Jesus asks if the man follows the Ten Commandments and starts listing them, the man immediately answers in verse 20, Yes, teacher, I have kept all these since my youth. He is wealthy. He is religious. This guy has it made. However, apparently not everything feels quite right. It seems this man is not entirely certain that he's found the salvation, the healing, the new life, the new meaning that faith is supposed to give. So he goes out of his way to track down the rabbi Jesus from Nazareth, all so he can ask, teacher, what must I do to be saved? And in response, Jesus gives him one of the most remarkably famous and terrifyingly infamous commands in the Bible, go sell what you own, give the money to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come and follow me. But again, I'm not entirely convinced that money is the primary issue. Money is the particular thing Jesus has zeroed in on here, but the real question Jesus is putting to this person isn't just what will you do with your wealth, but where does your commitment lie? Jesus' command to sell everything and then follow concerns money, but the larger, more decisive, more significant issue at stake is about priorities, is about ultimate values, is about commitment and what this man is committed to on a day-to-day -day basis. In the story, Jesus raises this issue of commitment because up to this point, salvation, redemption, faith has been a hypothetical issue for this man. Faith for this person is something to talk about, to be aware of, to be respectful of, but you almost get the sense that faith has never had direct consequences or implications. He's religious, but his weekly schedule is made up of his time. He's charitable, but his finances are composed of his money. He's religious, but he doesn't have to act on faith unless he chooses. And the only problem being that, as Jean-Paul Sartre once noted, commitment is not a word, it's an action. And so while faith is a matter of conviction for him, you almost get the sense that it's not a matter of commitment. And I imagine many of us know what that feels like. Commitment is a sore nerve for the man. And my guess is that it's a sore spot for most of us, if we're being honest. It certainly is for me, at least. Today, we're almost as uncomfortable talking about commitment as we are talking about money. We don't like to commit to anything. We don't want to commit our time. We want to keep our schedule flexible and our options open. We don't want to commit our finances. We may not know how the rest of the year is going to go. We hear the word commitment and we think of restrictions, obligations, expectations, and hesitantly, nervously, we step back. My guess is we all know what it's like to be in this man's shoes, but the question is, if we never commit to anything, is anything ever really real 
to us. And as intimidating as commitment may be, what we might miss in our anxiety about the commitment that Jesus calls this man to make is the fact that Jesus wants this man to commit because Jesus loves him. That's a part of the story a lot of people tend to miss. It's easy to read this passage and get caught up on the money or on the incredible nerve-wracking commitment that Jesus demands, but it is so crucial to remember that right there in verse 21, just before handing down the command to go and sell everything, Mark tells us Jesus looked at him and loved him as unfathomable and illogical as it may seem, Jesus' call for the man to give it all away and follow him is an act of love. It's in love that Jesus asks this man to give. It's in love that Jesus asks this man to serve. It's in love that Jesus asked this man to commit to faith in a real way because it is only when we commit in a real way that the new life of faith can be real. That may be the truly beautiful thing about this passage. Most people only see what Jesus asks the man to give up when the thing they should see is what Jesus wants the man to take up. Jesus didn't want to subtract something valuable from this man's life. He was trying to add something miraculous to it. Jesus wanted to lead him to new causes that are worthy of his time, to new work that's worthy of his passion, to new joy for living, to a new meaning for his daily life. And meaning requires not only finding something greater than yourself, but a willingness to commit to it. You have to be willing to act and make something real in concrete ways before it can be a real part of your life. And so far from being a story just about money, this passage is a story about Christ's grace-filled, loving invitation to take a leap of faith, commit our time, our energy, our stuff, commit with all that we have to a generous way of life that brings new meaning, to feel the God-given purpose we were born for and to keep on recommitting to it again and again and again every day that we let go of what's ours and take up what's Christ's. That need to keep on recommitting, to rededicate ourselves to a vision, to something greater than ourselves is, believe it or not, what's behind so much of what we do here Sunday morning and always has been. That's the real reason we have an offering time Sunday morning as part of worship. We don't have an offering just so that we can pay the bills and keep the lights on. I mean, don't get me wrong, 
We do host all kinds of incredible things each week, youth groups and piecemeals and blood drives. And yes, logistically speaking, we need to pay the lights and things in order to offer those ministries a space. But the bigger reason there is an offering time during worship and always has been going back to the earliest church is to make sure that we as disciples of Jesus Christ are being presented every single week with a real opportunity to commit in a very real way to Christ. Because as a very wise man once told me, if it is not in your week, it is not in your life. And we are called to make generosity, to make service, to make following Jesus Christ a very real part of our life. That's the same reason we have announcements and invite you to serve each week. Because every hour we give to building a habitat house, to putting together food bags, to working in a thrift store, every time you act in a real way, make salvation a little more real in your life and in the life of the one you serve. Every single week, church invites us to commit. Commit with our time, commit with our energy, commit with our resources, commit with everything, because every single week, Church invites us to commit to making salvation real in our life by being part of all the incredible little miracles that Christ is always up to. Just as we invite you to always be a part of all the things that Christ is up to here. Every single year, about 1,000 peace meals for seniors and hundreds of bagged meals for students get sent out from here. Every single week, 40 teens, 40 pathfinders, and 30 Sunday schoolers get to hear God's good news for their life instead of social media's judgment. Mission trips to faraway places are always being planned. Bunk beds are being made. Roofs are being shingled. Boy Scout troops are going out on adventures. Worship Without Wall Days are being planned and coordinated. People are being comforted and loved in small groups every single week and every single day. Little glimpses of that real salvation and that new meaning that we all hunger for are being shown and they are being made real because we are always striving to live generous lives that commit our time, our finances, that commit our hearts to the Savior who looks on us and loves us and wants to make us a part of such unbelievable miracles. We are here to commit to being Christ's hands and Christ's family with all that we are. We have been chasing after that generous commitment in this place for 190 years, and we'll be here chasing that commitment and that generous life for another 190 years. The only question Christ asks is, will you join us? And will you follow in some real way? For as long as this passage has been read, this passage has been read as a story about money. 
about a rich young man who let money and things get in the way of salvation, but that's not the entirety of it. The story concerns money, but in the end, it's a story about priorities, about values. It's a story about what we choose to commit ourselves to in great and small ways because it's the story about making faith, making new meaning real. And yes, in the end, the young man couldn't do it. This particular story doesn't have a happy ending. He walked away too afraid or maybe too anxious to commit to doing something real with his life and with his time. But the good news of the passage is that isn't how our story goes. We worship a Savior who calls us, who dares us, who invites us in love to commit to new meaning, to new chances, to new stories, to commit to new life for us and to new life for the ones we serve and give life to. Go give your wealth, your time, your energy, your attention. Give your life to the kingdom. Christ invites us with love. And then come and follow me to a generous, meaningful, real life. And may we always have the heart, the joy, and the faith to follow. And thanks be to God for it. Amen. Friends, please pray with me. Christ Jesus, in a world of uncertain sentiments and flaky intentions, Lord, give us a heart to commit to you in beautiful new ways. Lord, let us place our calendars and our schedules at your feet that we might fill our weeks and our days with work that is worthy of your salvation. Lord, let us place our shopping lists and our resources at your feet that we might chase after the treasures of heaven you offer more than the endless wants of the earth. Lord, give us a heart to serve, a heart to give, a heart to build, to be generous with all that we are. And in giving ourselves away in love, Lord, let us find you. And in making faith real in our lives, let us make salvation real to one another. In Christ's holy name we pray. Amen. Again, we want to thank you for listening this week. I can definitely relate with the man who Jesus spoke to in Mark 10. I love gadgets and new technologies, so it really hits home. I pray you have a wonderful Thanksgiving this week. Be safe and be blessed. <laughs>